Would you please welcome Andy Wallman? On top of that, Nick's dad and I were in the same high school class. And I met Nick some years ago through Emily, and, and, and Emily said, well, he's from Tyler. And I said, who is your dad? And I said, no, he's a good guy, even though he's from Tyler. So anyway, it's, it is a pleasure. Um, we use the same search firm, and, and uh, I know that having a founding pastor leave or uh, what us old guys are called legacy pastors when you're there a long time, um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's kind of like a church going off to college. You know, you, you're no longer under that parent who's been there a long time. And the search firm really is a massive help. It speeds it up. Instead of taking a year and a half, it can be done in six months. Um, but they also bring a process, and that process is incredibly helpful. So I'm excited for you. It's, I know it's, it's, it's tough when Daddy leaves, but um, I was telling his wife, if, if it was God's will for them to go suffer for Jesus in the mountains of Colorado... <laughs> Then it's also God's will for this church for a new pastor to come. And so um, I told Jeff when he called and said, would you do it? I didn't know he would remember me. I think we met at a lunch one time. He said, would you come preach some for us in the transition? I said, only if you'll ask me to come to Telluride. Um, uh, so far, the invitation hadn't come. But anyway, um, uh, let me pray with you. Father, thank you for this church and for their testimony and the community that it is. We pray your uh, remarkable blessing on it. Pray that you would walk with them and they'd be aware of your presence as they go through this time. And now as we go to your word, O oh Lord, we ask that you would use by the power of your spirit it to encourage us, to bless us, but also to strengthen and change us according to your will. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Jeff asked me to do something leading up to Christmas, and a number of years ago, um, Christmas messages are hard because everybody knows the story, right? Um, it's not like you're going to surprise anyone with who it's about. Um, as an aside, in the first grade in Tyler, Texas, we memorized the Christmas story from Luke in, in class to give you an idea. Now, that tells you how old I am, but also tells you how much things have changed, um, but we all know the story. So as a number of years ago, I was struggling through with trying to prepare a Christmas series. And one of the things, uh, when we talk about the Christmas story, it is called the birth narrative. The description of Jesus' birth in Luke and in Matthew, theologians call the birth narrative. It's the story of Jesus' birth. Because typically, if someone is really important, we want to know everything we can about their whole lives, all the way back to their birth. I read a lot of biographies. I taught leadership at Dallas Seminary years and years ago, and I read biographies. And one of the things you find out, if someone's really important, we want every detail we can get all, of, all about their lives. Um, and, and now I've got to confess, I don't read People Magazine. It's not my thing. If you read People Magazine, go for it. It's just I don't care about those people. I, it's just me. Now, Sports Illustrated, I might. But... Um, so I didn't get it from there, but I was reading some, just recently a story about Julia Roberts. You may know this. Uh, Julia Roberts' parents had a theater, club, a theater program in Atlanta where they trained people in theater. 
And a couple called them one time and said, would you take our children? Our, we're African-American, and none of the other theater clubs will take them. And would you be willing to take our children? And Julie Roberts' parents said, of course we would. And their children came and studied in that theater club. And years, years later, they, uh, the parents had Julia. But because they had this own little theater club, they didn't have insurance, and they couldn't pay the hospital bill for the birth. And that couple paid the bill for Julia Roberts' birth. And that couple was last name King, as in Martin Luther and Coretta Scott, that actually paid for Julia Roberts' birth. Isn't that cool? And it's particularly cool because we care about Julia Roberts and the Kings. You don't care about my birth narrative. <laughs> I'm just saying. But, but Scripture, what I found in my study was that when someone really particularly important is coming up in the history of God's plan, there's a birth narrative about them. And so that we have these, in the Old and New Testaments, in a few cases, there are people where there's an extended description of their birth and the circumstances and why it's important. And the more I studied it, I found that without any exception or almost any exception, every one of those had a particular significance in pointing to the life of Jesus. Maybe God knew what he was doing. So we're going to, in the next three weeks, do a three of those. And we're going to start, as you might guess, with Abraham and Isaac. Um, in Genesis, first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis are about all of the world. It's about the foundation. So there's no particular nation. It's about all of the world. So you have the beginning with Adam and Eve. You have the story of Noah's flood. You have these descriptions of, of all of humanity and the beginnings of all of humanity. And then in chapter 12 which is the first instance of what we call the Abrahamic covenant, God's promise, God's contract with Abraham. God goes to this man named Abram in the land of Ur and says, makes a promise to him. I want you to move to Canaan and I'm going to make you a great nation. And in chapter 12 and 15 and 17, three repetitions of the covenant, he describes how from Abraham's children, there will all of the world would be blessed. And that Abraham's progeny, his descendants, will be as many as the stars in the sky and the sands on the shore. And so Abraham, Abram then, takes up and moves to Canaan. And the life of Abraham is a series of ups and downs. And, and you know, there's that sad habit he has of telling people his wife is his sister. Not recommended. Um, <laughs> Um, unless she is, then, then there's another issue. But the, the uh, I said that out loud. I apologize. The, I'm from East Texas. It happens. You know, the, um, um, see, I haven't preached in a long time. And it, it, the, uh, <laughs> I, always, I always stand where I can see my wife, and when she does this, uh, that's when I know I need to pull up a little bit. Um, uh, where was I? I have no idea. Oh, and, and so Abraham, but in the book of Romans, when Paul is describing the gospel in his great treatise on the, what the nature of the gospel does, he pulls up the story of Abraham and says, all the way back to Abraham, salvation has only been by faith. And he quotes 
Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham is, is the guy who is the father of us all in many ways because of his faith. And the three great world religions of Islam, Christianity, and Judaism all are called Abrahamic religions because of the, his significance. So in, in Genesis 12, 15, and 17, you have this massively significant covenant where God appears to Abram and says, Abram, I'm going to do something special with you. And you're going to show your faith by moving to Canaan. And I'm going to show my commitment by giving you a son. And the story picks up for us today in chapter 17. Um, he read the first few verses where at the beginning of the first description of the Abrahamic covenant. And, and as it goes on, he gives him the right of circumcision as a sign. And, and, and it's, it's um, the process has begun as Abram and Sarah begin this life together. Um, but then in chapter 18, the Lord appears to Abram by the oaks of Mamre. And as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran to the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let me give you some food. Let me give you some drink. And he goes in and tells Sarah, we have guests. Come prepare them. And then in verse 9 it says, and he, they said to him, where is Sarah your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you in about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah denies that she laughed, but she did. You did laugh. The text says that Abram was 100 and Sarah was 90. Now that I'm old enough, this is getting a little close to home. Um, we have, we've moved to Fort Worth, uh, but to be close to our grandchildren, we continued going to grace. The new pastor's a dear friend, love him to death, but we wanted to be close to our grandchildren. And a number of our oldest granddaughter is now in college, which is mind blooming. And, but years ago we were in the back, she was in the back seat of her car and all our granddaughters were, you know, in their height, their chair things. And, and we were, I had a birthday coming and, and. They, my oldest granddaughter, as little children will do, said, they call me Bubba. I am from East Texas. Bubba, how old are you? And I said, oh, honey, Bubba's older than dirt. <laughs> and she said, oh, Bubba, some dirt's older than you. <laughs> um, so when I turned 70 last week, and, and my granddaughters put sign out about uh, some dirt's older than 70 in front of the uh, house. We had neighbors to come and stand and stare at the sign. Um, I'm, I don't want children at 70. You know, uh, God love you that are raising children. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, 
But can you imagine what Abraham and Sarah had gone through? You remember they had the case of Sarah coming up with the idea of Abram having a child with her handmaiden, and Ishmael, the father of all Arabs, came from that. And God said, no, that wasn't my solution. But here at 190, God comes and restates the covenant. So Sarah laughs. And who can blame her? What kind of laugh was it? Well, it was obviously a laugh of skepticism. Are you kidding me? But it was more than that. It was a laugh of heartache of an unanswered prayer. In my ministry as a pastor, I found no one who felt any more pain than two groups of people. Today, we're going to talk about both of them. And one was women who were unable to have a child. Uh, I... It's just an incredibly difficult process to walk through. Um, it just is. Uh, Samuel's dad said to his wife, aren't I good enough for you? Not the smart thing to say. Um, but women who struggle with infertility, that's a, that's a hard thing. It's a, it's a hard walk. Sarah had struggled with infertility with the bitter addition of the fact that God had promised her that through her would come a great nation. So not only was there the particular struggle of what infertility means, it was the struggle of a broken promise by God. So when God comes through these men and says, you're going to have a baby this time next year, she laughed. But it wasn't a happy laugh, right? But you know where the story goes. A year later, the angel returns. I believe it's actually the pre-incarnate Christ. And in chapter 21, it says the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son on the eighth day, and on the road they went. Here... After all of these years, they finally had the son through whom God would meet his promise. And through that son, according to God's promise, they would be the parents of a great nation. And scripture goes on to say our parents because they are our spiritual parents as well. Incredible. And suddenly those unanswered prayers are answered suddenly. I mean, we're all thrilled when that baby comes. But then when that baby has been promised, can you imagine the joy? One of the convictions I have is that having to go into seminary and all of that, we sometimes tend to read Scripture as if it's just information. It's a horrible mistake to do that. Please, I would encourage you, when you read the Bible, Draw your emotions into the, especially the narratives, the stories. Ask yourself, how would this feel? And Sarah has gone from feelings of heartache to a feeling of incredible elation and joy until the next part of the story. In chapter 22, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. And God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. 
And our Abram rose early in the morning, saddled the donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, I can't imagine. Father, here I am, son. Isaac said, behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abram said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So we went both of them together. And when they came to the place which God had told Abraham, built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. That passage ought to sort of offend you. The second group that I've spent way more hours with than I ever wanted to are parents who have buried their children. And we, we know we'll bury our parents, but none of us thinks we will ever bury a child. And here, God himself comes to Abraham and says, this child, the one you love, the one I promised you, I want you to murder him. And I think it is one of, on one level, one of the cruelest commands in all of Scripture. On just reading it, just reading the story, it's offensive. God, how could you do this? First of all, it's his child. Secondly, it's his only child. Thirdly, it's the child he waited for forever. And finally, it's the child you promised to use to create a great nation. And your solution is for me to murder him. We believe that the location of it is Mount Zion, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. That's why the temple is there to this day. Uh, I mean, was there. Now is the Islamic. Um, but we believe that was the location. That's why that location is so sacred to both Islamic people and Christians and Jews. And Abraham obediently brings Isaac. And lays him on the altar and binds him up and takes a knife and raises his hand. Verse 12, no 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Lord said, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horn. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as he said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Wow. Um, 
couple of things I forgot to tell. I hadn't preached in the last two and a half years, hardly at all, so I'm out of time. Please forgive me, but I forgot to tell. The Jews today call this passage the Akedah because it is so significant that God rescued. And and you often think of Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish day of New Year's, and the ram's horn, the shofar that is played. The reason they play a ram's horn is because of this. The ram's Horns were caught in the thicket, and that was God's provision. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage where God intervenes and provides. But it's, it's still a little uncomfortable, isn't it? That, that God would ask him to do that? I, I'll admit to you, I struggled with it. And, and then one passage that helps is, Hebrews chapter 11, the famous passage on faith. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises was in in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. The author of the book of Hebrews says Abraham did it because he believed God would resurrect his son. His faith was so strong that he was willing. But it's still a little uncomfortable. But isn't it interesting that I, maybe you, are offended that God would tell Abraham to give his son? And we forget that's what the father did for us. Isn't it interesting how we pass over that part of the gospel story as if, well, of course God, the Father, gave his son. But God gave his son. And it wasn't a walk in the park. Romans 5.8 says that, but God demonstrated his love for us because while we were sinners... Christ died for us. And we, I believe, diminish the love of God when we ignore the the size of the sacrifice that the Father gave. It wasn't a lamb. It wasn't a lot of money. It wasn't anything that I can imagine I would be willing to do. God gave his only son whom he loved. Because he loves you and me. Sometimes we struggle with God's love. Maybe it's an unanswered prayer. Maybe it's a divorce, a heartache, broken families, broken careers, broken health. Even even as followers of Christ, all of us will probably ultimately go through one incredibly significant heartbreak in our walk. It's that time when God tests each of us to say, like Peter, do you really love me? And I believe that for many of us is, is the point where we drilled down in our faith in a way that we never had before. It's that, that moment 
of testing. When faith suddenly has a price we never thought we would have to pay. And this is because the Father paid a price for you and me that none of us would ever ask him to pay. Christmas season, you know, it's sheep and donkeys and angels and food and food and presents and food. Uh, um, it's it's all, those, all those great things that we love. And we give gifts because of the gift of the Magi, but also because of the gift that the Father gave to you and me, that, that when that baby was born, God through a, you talk about a mic drop, God bombed the world with his son and, and separated everything else in human history from that point on. But more than anything, it's a gift. It's a gift where God demonstrates just how much he loves us each one. When you're flat on your face before God, and if you've not been there, you probably will be. When your heart feels so broken that you don't know what to do with it. When you ask yourself, is it really true? Because this hurts so bad. Remember Abraham. Because Abraham was willing to do what the father did for us. And that baby in the manger... God gave knowing full well the price he would pay. Karl Barth, one of the great theologians in Europe of the 20th century, was asked one time, I used to have all of Barth's books. It, it was literally this many volumes, and I finally gave them away because I never read them. Uh, I felt really good about having them, though. You know, it, it, look, look at a scholar I am. I have all of Karl Barth's books. Um, he was asked one time, what is the greatest theological truth you know? And he said, it is said, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. The love of God, demonstrated on Calvary, is the most significant idea your mind will ever have. Please pray with me. Father, we confess that we too often take for granted you giving your son. We just think that's what gods do. And yet we cry like babies when you ask the smallest things from us. Help us to see, Father, just how magnificent your love is. Help us to celebrate at Christmas the gift that you gave. And help us to have live securely in the knowledge of that love. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.